when I met these these two young ladies, I mean, they're effectively missionaries <laughs> for a hot dog. And uh, <laughs> I I I was I was struck. I was I was telling my kids uh, when we got home just this strange reality. And uh, I, I was I was struck by that that very thing that like. I'm I'm never going to be able to convince you to be engaged in something that I don't love. show where encounter meets mission. My name is Brad Piron. I'm here with my good friends and brothers in Christ, Woo! Dan Dimite and Aaron Richards. And we're going to be talking today about conversion. Exciting, uh, right? Oh, conversion. A little cliffhanger like there. Um, but before we dive into conversion, let's start with prayer. Dan, will you? In the name of the Father, up? and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, when we convert, we convert to you. <laughs> so we just thank you so much for being our compass our post. Lord, we pray that you would allow us uh, to have hearts that completely and entirely uh, turn to you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be so convicted to love you more, to desire you more, and to share you more. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to fall upon us during this show, for your Holy Spirit to convict anyone who listens to this, um, Lord, that you would transform our lives to live more like you every day. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father, and the Son, Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so we're excited. Um, conversion is an awesome topic, and we were actually talking about one a of the bit best before. topics, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> before the show started, and just like, um, yeah, there's a lot on our hearts coming into the show, and so we're going to talk today about a specific conversion, actually. And for those of you who have been able to watch uh, the interview that Bishop Barron did, and for those of you who have not. Let me let you know that Shia LaBeouf, a pretty famous actor, has actually converted to Catholicism Whoa. by playing Padre Pio in a movie that will be coming out soon, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And so the uh, the interview has, I think, amounted, at the time that we're recording right now, like a million views in three days, wow. which just says that there's something to be seen there. And um, so we're going to talk conversion today. But what I'd like to do, if we could, and we were talking about this before the show, is kind of yeah. walk through um, some of the different points that Shia makes in his conversion experience. And for those of you who don't know who Shia LaBeouf is, Shia LaBeouf is a pretty famous actor. So he's been in a lot of box of office deal. like um, hits. So he was first, um, at least I think so, found in Holes, which is a Disney movie about a, a young boy who gets sent to a juvenile detention camp. And it is hilarious if I remember it <laughs> as well as I think I do. And then um, the, the other movie that I really like is The Greatest Game Ever Played, which is the story of the first ever amateur golfer to win the U.S. Open. And that's just a well done sports movie. And then like everyone out there probably has at least heard of Transformers. And he's the lead actor in the movie's. Um, and I don't, I don't even know how many they've made at this point, but it's been a lot more than I think I've seen. <laughs> more, so, yeah, more, um, more than and, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Shia LaBeouf, famous actor who's converted to Catholicism by yeah. playing the role of Padre Pio. And um, so I don't really know much about him other than I, I was asked uh, uh, like last year, they were like, hey, we need you to play Shia LaBeouf in this skit. And <laughs> you just have to go out on stage and be like, you can do it. Yes, and I'm like, what okay. are you talking yes, about? Yes. And they're like, watch this YouTube video. And it's just him standing in front of this, like, uh, the green screen behind him <laughs> screaming, you can do it. Yeah, so Shia and LaBeouf. Just like, do it, do it. It's also known some um, for some off-screen antics. Yeah. Um, and one of these is a YouTube video that might be one of the most viewed YouTube videos of all time. I'd need to be fact-checked on I that. Mean, I mean, I was it might highly be. motivated. I was like, I can do it. Yeah, right? you can do it. Yeah, oh yeah. He's like a lot of hand. With his hand. Yeah, that's hand. right. And then his arms go out, yes. and then the hand goes down. Yes, there's, yes. There's some passion. Mm. Very emphatic. Yeah. Aaron, how do you I've, feel I've about not, that? I've not seen that YouTube You haven't video. seen it yet? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so once we're done here, we'll have, have to stop the show. all yeah. get motivated. Yeah, we'll take a pause at some point. We should point. put it in the show notes. Jack, show notes. Show notes. Put it in the show notes. above tells us to just do it. So. Um, in the spirit of Shia LaBeouf. Do we even have LaBeouf. show notes? <laughs> we do now. We now have show notes. <laughs> in the spirit of Shia LaBeouf, we're going to enter into this episode and just do it. So we're going to walk through. Um, I mean, I, I think that was his first proclamation of the gospel, to be completely true. Just do it. Just convert. Just, you can do and it. And he didn't even know. Yeah, he didn't he even know he was preaching the gospel. You That's can real. do it. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. And so um, Padre Pio, I don't know if you two know this, but actually Padre Pio in high school 
played like a huge role in like my interest and continued pursuit of Catholicism. So it was like, I think it was my senior year and you know, you're about to go on Christmas break and we're in theology class and the teacher's like, we're not going to teach a new lesson. We're going to throw in this, um, like, I don't know. I think it was like a three hour movie on Padre Pio. And I watched the movie and I'm like, like, this is either real or it's not. And if it's real, this is unreal. You know, it's yeah. like, what in the world? I've never heard a story yeah. like this. So it's just funny to um, to hear Shia kind of like recount his experience of learning. What um, year? Did, I mean, how, how long ago did that come out? I don't know. Well, probably, well, Padre Pio only died in what, 1968? I don't know if that's exactly right, but I, th- I think he died in the 60s. Yeah. So the movie was not made too long after he died, maybe 30 years after. It might have been like a movie from the 90s. Yeah. I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but I was like, fascinated by it and just to hear Shia over the course of the interview really talk about how Padre Pio's story changed his life is really cool but before he got to that though um he just like went through a few points and I think I've tried to do my best to conceptualize the points in um kind of like bite-sized fragments so we can maybe talk about them one of the first things Shia says so um Bishop Barron and he's amazing he starts by asking him a lot about acting because he's really wanting to to like enter into Shia's world, you know? And as he's talking about acting, they're talking a little bit about the different methods of acting. And uh, Shia talks about how like in acting, what he loves doing is immersing himself in a story and in a character and really finding himself like experiencing things the way that person experienced them and things like that. And he also talked about how that brings such great adventure to him. And then after that, he says, because of my um, thirst for adventure. And because of the way that I like immersing myself, I think that's why I've fallen in love with Catholicism. Isn't that funny? And, um, I don't know. I think we can take maybe a minute to talk about that. Just like, um, we talk a lot at Damascus about encounter, like this show beyond Damascus is the show where encounter meets mission. We talk about immersion experiences all the time. We talk about living the adventure of the Catholic faith. And I just thought it was funny that one of the first things Shia says, and he almost jumps the gun. Bishop Barron hasn't asked anything about the faith yet. And he's just like, yeah, I think my desire to immerse myself in something and my thirst for adventure is the reason I found myself now Catholic. And so anyway, I wonder what you guys think about that. I mean, you hear the, you hear the words of Jesus, taste and see, right? That it's always been an invitation into experience that sort of paves the way for the communication of the gospel. And even in the lives of so many, so many saints, as you read their biographies, they were inspired by the lives of others, like by this invitation to adventure. I think of uh, St. Francis Xavier, right? Um, great, great example of a guy who uh, was um, nearly nearly killed in battle, right? And on, on his recovery bed uh, was fed nothing but the lives of saints. And it was, it was through that experience that he was brought to a place of faith. Um, and I love your, your, your witness to Padre Pio. I think, I think I, I had a similar experience yeah. of Padre Pio. Like he, his story was the first real invitation to me of a modern day saint who was living a supernatural life and kind of opened up this, this door of questioning. Like, you know, if God, if you can do it in him, would, yeah. would you do it in me? Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that immersion and adventure, I just, um, so last night, my family's always, I'm always trying to find shows that we can watch together with the kids, you know, that I like it's and the kids one. like, it's a tough one. And we loved Monk, but we, we went through all the seasons of Monk and it's been really hard to find anything since Monk. And we found this show uh, last night called um, Alone. And it's this like okay. show where you're alone. They they put 10 contestants into the wilderness all by themselves and they're alone. And it's whoever can survive the longest without calling for an escape. And um, and it was like, we just watched two episodes and I'm already addicted, but in the all last night, I like was dreaming that I was signed up to go on alone and I'm so stressed. Cause I'm like, there's no way I can handle this challenge. And like, I remember waking up this morning when my alarm went off and I was like, Oh man, I'm so glad that was just a dream. Yeah, wipe the sweat off. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like, it's these 10 people who are like just insane. This one woman, her name is Rose. She's like, I I lived with an indigenous, like, oh no, it was Danielle. I lived with this indigenous tribe in uh, Alaska for four years and I'm ready for this. I'm like, are you kidding me? You did that? But it was just like, I was just thinking last night while watching, like, this is like an insane, like these people are doing things with their lives that like 
like kind of scares me like like but they're living they're experiencing something i'll never experience because i'm not willing to do that and i think so often like that's i think that's what uh, the poverty of people in Catholicism is that they're unwilling to do what Christ calls them into. They're w- unwilling to uh, um, test that adventure, test that immersion that I'm going to actually live this gospel as deeply as I can. And because of that, we don't actually experience the fruit of it. Yeah. And and so like if it's just like, oh, I'm showing up to Mass on Sunday, I'm just doing the normal Catholic thing that, and, and living Catholic. Co- co- cultural Catholicism, you don't experience the life of Padre Pio, and thus you don't experience the adventure. You yeah. don't, you're not immersed in it. And I think it was Shyla's, uh, his experience was being immersed in the life of the Capuchins that, in that, that desire to like, I want to know the life that this man lived so that I can play this role. It was like, that's when he started to taste it. Like, whoa, okay, this is what it looks like. Yeah, and what we immerse ourselves in matters, right? Cause I think like exactly what you're saying about adventure. And I think it ties into the supernatural lifestyle too, is that we're so nervous about adventure at times, because if I go out there and risk something, what if I fail? Because I've been immersed in a world my whole life that tells me if I fail, I'm a failure. Right. But, but that, that almost leaves me in this bland existence, like this stagnancy where it's like, I'm not going to take a risk, you know, like, cause if I step outside of what I know, then who knows what's out there? And sure, that might um, keep you from some like perceived pitfalls, but it also keeps you from adventure. You can, know? I, can I can I risk a slight tangent? Yeah. So, uh, a number of years ago, I was um, I was spending spending some time in adoration, and I was beating myself up because I, I wanted to bring good spiritual reading, but I wasn't being fed by the spiritual reading that I was that I was tending toward, and. I finally heard the Lord give me permission to bring uh, one of my Chronicles of Narnia books into the chapel. And it started a process for me of engaging in these, these works of like fantasy or, you know, these epic fantasy fiction uh, works, you know, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, um, and, and being able to actually realize like, Lord, you can use this, this thirst for adventure in my life to actually orient me toward that thirst for you, for the supernatural. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder if maybe, like you said, Brad, that many of us in our in our faith experience have kind of chalked up our encounter of faith to the experience of, of my typical Sunday Mass, as opposed to realizing, like, Lord, your design for this was an adventure that would—it w- it was supposed to be the greatest story ever told. But but somehow we've, we've watered that down and, and neutralized that to the point where maybe it's not even exciting— for the, for the common man. And I think that's the, I love how you said, Brad, you have to be careful what you immerse yourself in because you can only immerse yourself in so many things. Right. Yeah. And so, and I actually, I love the, the word baptism means to be immersed. Immerse. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but the, the, like what experiences am I going to take? And I, I think that's, I mean, I love our missionary program because it's a two year immersion in the missionary way of life. Yeah. And I can't figure out how to live a missionary at all times. If I don't at some point, very intentionally focus on living as a missionary. And so like immersing myself in missionary life gives me the ability to learn how to be a missionary in the work, in the marketplace, how to be a, a missionary with my family, how to be a, and it's like, okay, I want, if it, uh, I, there was this, um, atheist who he just, he was, he was hungry to have silence and he went and, uh, lived with uh, with uh, Benedictine monks for 90 days to see if he could handle it. And it, it was so cool because I was listening to his podcast and he was just like, like just immersing myself in the silence was one of the most intense, it was the most intense thing I've ever done in my entire life. And it was because I've never experienced quiet. Yeah. Isn't it funny? You're, you're talking a lot about immersing yourself in things that we have kind of some natural apprehension towards too, right? Like, like silence is hard for us. Yeah, because it's not what we're normally immersed in. So I actually have to be intentional about immersing myself in silence. I think like uh, I I was just like um, going back to the first time that I encountered like Christian community that was lively. Like it took an intentional effort to immerse myself there because it felt weird Mm -hmm. and not because they were weird. It just felt different. Like, I mean, weird, like different, like this isn't what I normally experience. So what am I missing here? Right? Like, uh, am I being duped? Like, um, and I think sometimes when we immerse ourselves in silence, it's like, 
oh, I am beginning to hear something, but is that because I want to hear something? Well, no, maybe it's because the Lord's there. You know, like once we immerse ourselves, we have to be intentional to like, I don't know, almost set aside the things we had previously immersed ourselves in so we can be fully present. Because a lot of times we'll blend the two and it can affect us. I don't know. In the spirit, in my spiritual walk with the Lord, I think that's definitely true. Where it's like, okay, I want to learn what it's like to immerse myself fully with you here. Well, I think it is in the immersion is where you find the adventure. So if there's this FOMO, fear of missing out, like, okay, I'm going to try to do everything, and I never give myself wholeheartedly to one thing, I, I actually don't experience an adventure, like, because then I spread myself so thin, and I haven't given my heart to one thing. And, I mean, you even find that in relationships, right? If I just... If I spread myself out into all these different relationships, all I have is a bunch of shallow relationships. But if I dive deep into intentional brotherhood or intentional like relationship and marriage, like these intentional relationships where I dive deep, I actually discover adventure there. I discover meaning and purpose there. And um, so immersion is something that I think we should evaluate. Okay, Lord, what do you want? Where where do you want me to plunge myself into so that I discover deeper? purpose and participate. Right. And that's, um, that's actually a decent segue because the the second thing that Shia begins bringing up is how, um, how like he in like his person is a feeler, like he, he feels things. And, um, he was talking about the mass and how, when he started going to the mass, like there was something so different about the mass that it required that full conscious and active participation that Vatican II talks about. So full, right? Like that I'm, I'm totally in like what we're talking about conscious that my, like I'm, I'm attending to what's here. Right. And active, like I I'm like, I'm giving responses. I'm, I'm doing my best to engage with the things in front of me. And I, I think that that's something that is worth talking a little bit about, right. That like a lot of times I would say in the first, um, probably 20 years of my Catholic life, I think the reason that I saw Catholicism through a specific lens is because I wasn't full, conscious, or active in my participation <laughs> yeah. in anything, in prayer, in mass, in theology class. And so, um, yeah, I wonder what you guys think about that, that idea that like whenever we do kind of turn that switch and say, I'm going to be full, I'm going to be conscious, and I'm going to be active in my participation, wow, now I feel like I'm a part of something. Like I feel like something's unveiling itself to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I love how the at church the the pews aren't are designed as pews and not chairs because they're meant to represent the 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 lower portion of a boat where the the slaves would sit or the servants would sit and they would actually row the boat and so like where the 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 idea of a, a chair is passive but a pew is meant to be an active and the when I go to mass, that's my job is to be the one who is, is helping the church row its way to heaven, right? Yeah. This pilgrim church, this ship that's in pilgrimage towards the destiny of heaven. I was just talking to my kids about this the other day. I was like sharing with them, why do we have pews, you know? And it's like, yeah. uh, is, is your participation in the mass active? And if it's not active, if you're not rowing aggressively and passionately and consciously to get mm-hmm. to, to worship the Lord, then you're going to be bored out of your mind because it isn't meant to be a passive activity. So if you come to to church passive, you're not going to quote, get anything out of it. Yeah, right, right. right. (laughs) Well, we have to give to receive, Yeah, right? We have to give to receive. I mean, I was going back to this is, Brad, this is what you talk about on a daily basis, right? That that John Paul Paul II says that man can only come to know himself through a complete gift of himself, that it's it's that it's that missionary mandate on our lives that actually calls us into full participation in the church, and there's there's no room for anyone who's not who's not yeah. living a life of mission. Uh, we used to say it a lot in the show. I think we've kind of grown away from it, but but like you are called to a full time missionary lifestyle. Period. End of story. Uh, and and anything anything short of that is is not going to be fulfilling because it's not fulfilling your call. Right. And we also talk about how like a temptation of ours is to lower that bar, to yeah. call it success. But when I leave that bar high, I'm going to miss the mark, but I, I allow the Lord to like fill the gap with mercy. Like that's the adventure is that, whoa, there is this almost unattainable bar because I'm supposed to be Jesus. Like never, <laughs> never like until I'm like brought into the heavenly reality in the full, total, and complete way on the other side of the life that I know now, mm-hmm. will I be 
an image to that degree, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, and so it's always a pursuit upward. It's a failing forward um, idea. But I think the full conscious and active participation is is so important because, like, even in the church, we find these debates between like, how do you properly um, decide what liturgy means? Is liturgy work on behalf of the people or work of the people? And this is like a huge theological <laughs> debate. And it's like the church has always known both and. Yes, the priest is doing a work in persona Christi on behalf of the people, and the people are doing a work, right? Like it's you're participating in the way that your vocation has you participate, and I'm participating in the way that my vocation has me participate, and then all of a sudden we're we're doing the work that the Lord laid before us. But that requires full conscious and active participation of everyone involved. Yeah. Our 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 fathers in the faith, our priests, our lay faithful beside us who are praying for us, right? Like I ask you to pray for me like a sinner. Like I literally at the beginning, I'm like, Hey, will you please pray for me? Cause I'm kind of a mess. You know, like if, if you could pray, that'd be great. And I, I think, um, we lose an element of, of, uh, community in the church when either we presume someone else to be coming in lackluster or we come in lackluster. I was, worshiping last night at mass and uh it was it was fun this weekend i spent probably a total of like 16 to 18 hours just doing horrible yard work because you know when you leave the house for for uh two months i feel like, uh, I feel like every show camp, you say this i know and it's just like oh man the yard work was so rough and the idea but, when you leave the house for two months yeah, it's like when, yeah. you know for eight weeks that. in the summertime yeah. when yeah <laughs> it was actually i think it was like a total of like 12 weeks that we were gone so it was like three it was like oh but our, my backyard was just like a living like just evil pit and but i was at mm. mass after like two days of insanely <laughs> excruciating work my hands hurt my my body hurt and i was just reflecting Reflecting on how fun it is to go to mass during uh, the summer at camp and to see our missionaries just beat up and broken and um, and yet they're finding like they're entering fully into the liturgy and finding rest and there's something so beautiful about living this life where I'm so poured out that when I come to mass uh, I'm giving because I'm so hungry to receive rest and this idea of immersion and adventure connecting with full active participation like if you read Lord of the Rings and you read like C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, there's something in you that like whenever we watch adventure or read adventure, we're hungry for it. But adventure never happens through laziness, right? Yeah. Like you don't get that life yeah. and you don't <laughs> like discover this epic adventure or like through sitting on the couch. And it's mm -hmm. just like there's mm -hmm. this I like the only way to discover the fullness of life is through the full active conscious participation of my life with the Lord. And if I if I'm holding back in mass or if I'm holding back in my everyday full-time missionary endeavors, I'm never going to get it. And, and yeah. I, I don't experience the promise of the kingdom because I'm holding back. Yeah, that's right. And, and the way that we enter in, it imparts that on the people around us too. It gives them permission to enter in. And uh, I, I know that you guys know this as fathers in a way that I, I don't yet. And I, I was actually like a year ago at mass with my wife, Nina, and we were at her home parish and when we were like entering in, there was this little middle schooler down the row in front of us from us. And he kept kind of like looking back at me. And Nina at one point pointed out to me that all of the different, like whenever I would just like be receiving from a prayer of the priest or something, everything I was doing, this little middle schooler was doing. <laughs> and uh, at the end of mass, he, he came up with his mom and like looked down and then looked up at me and goes, hey, so my name, and I, I wish I could remember his name right now, but I can't. And he told me his name and he goes, and you're Brad, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I came to Damascus this summer and my life was like changed, you know? And it was like, whoa, like you, you just forget sometimes that like, whoa, like the things I'm doing, like actually impart things on the people around me that like, and, and again, like in a very like humble way, it was just a little middle schooler at this like random parish, right? But it's like, well, he was watching though, you know? And again, not that, not that we're performing, but it is worth like recognizing that like, man, I'm actually giving permission for someone else to to engage this thing, even if it's in like a, an, uh, a middle school, um, at a middle school level or something, but yeah. So anyway, well, well until all the parents, why did like, why are your children not singing? It's probably because you're not singing. Yeah, right? no, that's good. Why, why are good. your children mm. bored to tears? Maybe because yeah. we're bored to tears. Yeah. And, and so. I just felt called because I think sometimes we're, we're almost nervous that like, well, if, if I'm doing that and they're doing it because I'm doing it, then they're just like mimicking or something. It's like, well, yeah, but like, 
I do. That's how I learned the whole faith. Yeah. Like that's how I learned. That's how, how I starts. learned mass. That's how I learned the Our Father. That's how I learned the Rosary. Like it's. Um, I heard a priest say once. It was such a simple and profound line. He said, "We'll be a parish that prays when you pray. We'll be a we'll be yeah. a parish that serves when yeah. you serve, and mm-hmm. we'll be a parish that evangelizes when you evangelize." Yeah. And it's like so. Like we sit around sometimes. Like, oh man, why doesn't my church do this, or why doesn't my church do this? Like we're only we'll only be a church that does that when we do that. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk evangelization a little bit because I think um, Shia's way of being evangelized was a little different than a lot of ours. I think like he entered into. <laughs> like a capuchin monastery and uh that's and, a sure shot and, man and the, and the, <laughs> only we can have everyone from hollywood spend a few months and the, at a capuchin no, seriously. monastery and they um but he was like evangelized he was told the good news he was mm-hmm. welcomed into the good news and um i i made note here he was talking about like in the evangelization process um it included sacrament and included prayer it included rosary and included all these things and, and he talks about this um discrepancy or this dichotomy between um, selling him on an idea and welcoming him into something special. And he said that if they would have been selling him an idea, he would have been, he would have stood athwart. Yeah. Um, but because they were welcoming him into something special and he noticed that it was special for them because they treated it differently. And, and because he felt like they were welcoming him into that in the liturgy, yes, but also in the lives of these Capuchin friars, that he thought there was something to that. And as I listened to that, I was like, man, we could learn a lot as, as evangelists, mm-hmm. like all three of us. I mean, that's what we do with our lives full time is, and I, I obviously know that we're all called to do that, but in a very real way with ministry, I wonder what you guys think about that. This, like this idea that like evangelization, when it's simply selling someone, something can feel like the rest of the world. Cause the world's always trying to sell you something. But when you're welcoming someone into something special, it can look different. I just thought it was an interesting way of thinking. So about I, had a, I had a great experience on uh, Saturday this week. We, our Damascus worship, we were playing an event up in um, Twinsburg. Is that right, Jack? Twinsburg uh, and near Cleveland. And we got there and we're setting up for the, for the show. And then all of a sudden, the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck pulls up. Yes, <laughs> dude, I love that song. The so, Oscar Mayer Wiener song. So we, we did a we did a little quick Show research. We did a little quick <laughs> research notes. on the on the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck. Turns out there's only six in existence. There are six trucks. Their only purpose is to travel the the country, maybe the world, evangelizing the good news of Oscar Mayer. It's amazing. So. They don't sell food. There's, it's not a hot dog stand. They merely drive around for the sake of brand awareness and joy. Wait, they do not have hot dogs? <laughs> no. They don't have hot dogs. What? That, is so, that's what, that was my thought. I was like, what? And, and this vehicle's sweet. It pulled up, uh, and the girls were standing out in front. So I walked around back and snuck into the vehicle to like look around. It's like this beautiful, posh RV-type deal wow. in, in a hot dog. <laughs> and... I was I was amazed because I, I still <laughs> couldn't understand the fact that it's not actually a hot dog stand because that's what I would want. I wonder how much the driver gets paid. I don't know, but <laughs> when I met these these two young ladies, I mean they're effectively missionaries <laughs> for, <laughs> for a hot dog, and uh, <laughs> I I I was I was struck. I was I was telling my kids uh, when we got home just this strange reality and uh i i was i was struck by that that very thing that like i'm i'm never going to be able to convince you to be engaged in something that i don't love and it was evident that these two young women <laughs> despite what you know every presumption that i may have they love this thing that they're doing right um and and because of that the smile on their face and the joy that they brought uh convinced a whole crowd to go up and beg for whistles and stickers for like, <laughs> when's the last time that I ate an Oscar Mayer hot dog? Never. I don't think ever. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> now it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Next time you go to the store. But, but like, yeah, it's, it's that invitation that the, in order to, in order to effectively evangelize, I have to love the thing that I'm talking about. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can evangelize. I mean, I evangelize people all the time right now. Half of our staff is getting into this new book series. We're talking about why, because, because we, we, somebody loved it enough yeah. that they invited somebody else. And then that person fell in love to the point where now we're, we're, we're just, we're making, we're making it work because it brings us, it brings us life. So yeah, if, if that's not our experience of faith, like there's a problem <laughs> right? Be, because ultimately like our, I don't know, I, this isn't, this isn't well, uh, well thought out, but like our, 
ability to evangelize is going to be contingent on our on our love that we have for the for the the message, right? And and when push comes to shove, and when we're we're facing our darkest hour, like that's that's going to be the thing that's put to the test. And and my pursuit of faith has to be motivated from that place of love, a love that a love that's pervasive. <laughs> Oscar Mayer, Wiener. Oscar Mayer, Wieners. I was I was. There's a great moment of faith. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's something like that. You it in that silly moment, you are welcomed into a lifestyle or into like a, a into something, right? And that going back to what you're saying, Brad, this idea of being welcomed into something versus being sold something, and yeah. I think that's really when I heard you say that. I think I was challenged to think about when I go to. Um, speak at in front of an entire high school, a Catholic high school, where you have ninth through twelfth graders. They're pretty uh, apathetic and yeah. agnostic, and they're 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 somewhat open to listening because they're not in class right now. But it's it's one of the toughest crowds to speak in because it's you're in a high school gym and it's right. a big crowd, and they you don't have any crowd like you don't have I mean, anyone in the crowd really helping yeah. you. Sometimes the teachers aren't even really yeah, helping you yeah. out, and. Um, most of the time, the teachers, <laughs> and it's just and and it is is challenging to say how do you not simply try to sell the gospel mm-hmm. to these like young people, but actually welcome them into a way of life, and it's really difficult to do that by yourself, like because there isn't a way of life by yourself. It's almost like the, the there's something there's something unique and distinct about okay. Shia went to he went to the Capuchins and he he became part of their community and in that he was welcomed into this way of life as opposed to me in front of four hundred kids like trying to sell but I I think there is like in in limitations there is a way to present the gospel where it's like listen and, and G, you see Jesus doing this where he said he's he's presenting an alternative ulterior way to live, right? So he's not trying to sell like, you're going to be the happiest person ever if you follow me and everything's going to go your way and you're going to make lots sure. of money and all of this. And he's, he's like, I'm giving you a different kind of life and it's one where you die. Yeah, <laughs> you die right. to yourself. And if you throw your life away for others, you're going to discover what authentic life is. Yeah. Well, if, if you're selling something and you're a good salesman, you won't let the person say no. But like welcoming someone into something, it it gives them the choice. And I think that's what can be hardened as an evangelist sometimes because I am making myself mockable whenever I welcome someone instead of sell them on something because I'm actually like bleeding in front of them. And that's something that Shia actually talks about when he's acting. He says that that's what he thinks he's good at is bleeding in front of people. And, and you are, you're just like, here's my colors. Here's what it looks like. This is the life I live. And, and like, I, I was just literally thinking about the exact scenario you were talking about. If I'm giving a talk there and I can give my heart there, but that can be challenging because I have a gift that I could give or my heart that I can give. And you can give both. I'm not saying you can't, but a lot of times you can hide on that gift because it's like, I will be such a rhetorician right now. I'll be a great orator who gives you something you can't disagree with. Right. But it's like, oh, but what if I like presented it? with my gift, with, with a heart that says, let me welcome you into this. I, I, it was, it was notable to me that Shia kept saying special. He's like, like really special. Like he emphasized it a couple times throughout the interview. And I'm like, yeah. Cause he picked up on that. The Capuchins gave their entire life away for this thing. Like there's something special and, and it drew him and it's something he would have mocked historically drew him. And I, I don't know that risk can be hard for us to, at least for me. But I, I think the special was was probably the community. It wasn't even, it wasn't it, like, so your talk in front of a crowd can motivate a crowd for a moment, but there's something about seeing, whoa, this is a people that live a different way of life. And I think that's why at Damascus, we have so much fruit when people come here, not because our programming is all that much different than other people's programming. It's because they see a people who are living a different way of life. And they're like, your normal people yeah. in your your lay Catholics, and yet you're living a missionary lifestyle. Maybe I can do that too. Sure. And sure. I think that's whoa. You're you're this Capuchin community, and you've given your lives completely to poverty, chastity, obedience, and and this is this is special. Yeah, that's good. Let me lean in on that quick because I think I agree. I I think what I'm wrestling with is we talk about being in a new apostolic age because there's there's large pockets of the population that have rejected the gospel. And in the apostolic age, 
I do think that, let me, let me preface with this. I think that what you're saying about community is actually the best way to evangelize and welcome people into something. But sometimes I think that you are going to be evangelizing a group and you'll be the one standing for your community there. Like St. Thomas who went to India or like Francis Xavier who went to Asia. Um, and I wonder like, is that just a unique call or is that like a, a person's ability to carry that koinonia, that communal spirit as an individual somewhere? Like, does that make sense? Like, I, I think that, um, it's actually something I'm just genuinely interested in because I do think that communal way of evangelizing is the most effective. I, I don't, I don't dispute that for a second. I just wonder in a world where there's so much evangelization that needs to happen that sometimes Dan, Aaron, and Brad can't be in the same place at one time. I think it's really effective when we are. But if we're, does that make sense? Like, <sighs> like is that even fair to say? Like, cause I, I don't know. Maybe Thomas did go with eight compatriots, but I, I, the way that I read it when I read about the stories, they, they would go. And they would tell stories and then they would gather people like local people that would then buy into the way of life. And then they had a team. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. Curious. I mean, Jesus, he, he specifically teaches them to go out in pairs. Sure, so I sure, guarantee sure. they never went by themselves in the early sure. church. And so I think that it, it the, the two is probably critical. Um, but okay. then, and then the role would be as soon as we, we want to win a kingdom, a nation, mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. form a community first and foremost. And so mm -hmm. the, I mean, mm -hmm. Francis, that mm -hmm. he forms a brotherhood and that brotherhood starts winning people. I think the, you probably see, I mean, and even Jesus does this, like his first thing is to call people to himself mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then he ministers with the community of the 12. And so mm -hmm. you don't, like Jesus's methodology was communal ministry with even though he was the evangelist he was sure, the prophet sure. he was everything yeah, yeah. uh he was the he healer. was the fivefold yeah, incarnate yeah. yeah but but he has the community of people who if you will they see their lifestyle too so That's good. so Jesus is mendicant but they are as well yeah what do you think Aaron Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, when 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 Jesus when Jesus models for us what it's like to live the Christian life, I I look to the Acts of the Apostles. It's one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, verses when when the the Pharisees are are really persecuting the the new fresh apostles who are who are living. E even the Pharisees know, like they they go they go to they go to the apostles and they say, um, "We forbid you to to preach this name." Yeah, and then. We forbid you to preach about this life, right? That it's it's mm -hmm. the it's the name and it's the lifestyle yeah. of of the missionary mm -hmm. that that has to be modeled. So yeah, I guess to put the two together, yeah. when we're on our own, yeah. let's like let the let the witness to community be on our tongue. Yeah, let us appeal to that. Right. I, I think that's what I was feeling in my heart too. Because even even in the letters that I find Paul writing by himself, he'll attest to to what Timothy's doing. Right. Like, cause, cause I'm sure that even in the early church, they'd go out in pairs and then because of yeah. persecution and things get split. Yeah. But then when that happens, am I, is the first thing I'm saying, like my brother Timothy is just doing amazing yeah. things and he lives in this type of way because I almost think honor carries someone yeah, with big you. deal. It, it, it carries someone with you. So like I've sent, I've seen great fruit in, in in my own you ministry, grapefruit, grapefruit. Yes, 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 sorry, I'm sorry no, 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 no. I was trying to. No, I probably did say grapefruit. I was trying to no, think. You said of, great. I, just to I was trying to think grapefruit. about how to articulate it. I, I've seen grapefruit in my own ministry. <laughs> when, when, did you spit coffee? Up? I'm trying to give a point on. That. I know. I'm just having fun this morning too. <laughs> what is? What's the point? Um, I've seen fruit when I honor people in ministry up front. I think that's what I want to say. And, uh, I'm sorry. I but no, 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 no. It's that. okay. I uh, I think that I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just in honor, we carry yeah. people with us. And so yeah. don't um, – like we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh -huh. Clouds aren't always visible. And so like carry those witnesses with you. And um, and I think that actually – I, I want to jump to the next point because I, I, I think that there's just too many to not try to get to as many as we can. Um. And Shia said this, and I, I thought this was interesting, because even with what we're talking about in evangelization and things, he was making this distinction between belief and connection. So this like this this concept, right? Like maybe we're even talking about that in the context of community, like a concept, it's good to be with people versus this connection, right? Like, like you know a community when you step in and they're connected. And uh, and he was talking about his relationship with God in that context, that he had been agnostic most of his life and uh would say that like 
he had a belief that there was something there. Cause even if you go back, he literally said this, even if you go back to the big bang theory, you have to believe in something that created that. Even if it's not a creator, it has to be some scientific thing. There's no guarantee that you're going to be right. So you have to have faith. And so he's like, I always knew faith was going to be in something. And I had a belief that there was something right. Um, but this connection that I began to have with God is what changed. And I think we call that connection here encounter <laughs> um, at Damascus. I, I think that um, that's kind of what he's getting at is I had this encounter moment. And I just wonder what you guys think about that. I, I think we, we talk about that a little bit, but just I, I really liked the way he was articulating that. Like it, it went from belief in my mind to connection in my life. And I, I know that's been true for me too. I, mean, I think it's it, it sort of sums up everything we've been talking about, right? It's, it's, it's making faith something that's less about a, a set of a, set, a, a list of principles and more about an adventure, right? A, it's it's less about um, convincing rhetoric and more about a lived experience of love. So I, I think in in witnessing to the the adventure in my heart and witnessing to the motivation of um, of, of being in authentic relationship, like those things kind of come together. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a package deal. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I think it, I don't know if I have much to say on it. I think the, um, if we're looking at his conversion, I think there is something beautiful and profound of just experience. And I, I think the, to experience something, as we said, with immersion for an extended period of time where that's what I'm focused on experiencing is, is where the connection is made. And so whether it's, I mean, why is a retreat effective? It's because you're not worried about what's what you're doing at home. And so you leave for a moment of time to experience a, a time of focus on what's most important. And I think there's uh, that that need for seasonal retreats that there are times where I'm going to go away so that what I know, because when I'm when I'm stressed out and I've got a lot of things on my plate, I know cognitively, that um, Jesus Christ is peace and that the things on my to-do list aren't going to crush me, right? Cognitively, I know that. But until I step back and, and enter into um, the peace of Christ, I don't experience that, right? And so it's really important that in those moments and in those seasons that that I have times in my life where um, I allow what I know to become my experience. And and we do that daily through prayer, right? So I root myself in a daily prayer life where what I know to be true in in the Lord becomes my experience in the Lord. And then we should do that seasonally as well, that yeah. like I'm taking time to refocus so that I remember what's most important. Yeah, and in the interview, actually, Shia quotes Bishop Barron, who was quoting Mother Teresa, that prayer— He quoted is, Bishop Barron to Bishop Barron. To Bishop Barron, yeah. Wow, so that's amazing. He told Bishop Barron what Bishop Barron was teaching the first time Shia <laughs> met him or something. And, uh, and Bishop Barron then credited it because of his humility to Mother Teresa, who he was giving the talk— um, kind of around. And uh, the idea was that prayer is four steps. It's silence, loving thoughts, loving actions, peace. So that like prayer, I enter into silence so that I can hear the Lord. When I hear the Lord, that's loving thoughts. There's, there's, he is love. So there's no ability to get around that. From loving thoughts lead to loving actions, which is prayer in action, right? Like evangelization, ministry, community, and then peace comes from that. And I thought that was fascinating. And I, I think it's, it also attests to everything you're saying about community, Dan. And it is something I still wrestle with because my desire to go as wide as we possibly can. It's like, man, but I can't be with Aaron and Dan all the time. So how do we go wide without losing the thing? I think to your well, it's point. It's a both and, right? It but it's also, it's, it, we do have to question whether or not our methodology in the church is um, mm -hmm. influenced by modern day mm -hmm. um, show-offism. Yes, <laughs> you yes. know, like yeah. we're used to just yeah. giving one person the mic and making one person the hero as opposed mm -hmm. to realizing that the, the, the church is a community. And so mm -hmm. maybe maybe some of our primary means of evangelization yeah. aren't the most attractive means. And, mm -hmm. and why is it that our parish life is often mm -hmm. fading? Maybe it's because we've given one guy the mic and has asked him to do everything, as opposed to having yeah. multiple priests in a community, living community, mm -hmm. and allowing that living community to be the witness of what community yeah. in the church well, is. Well, and maybe that's where connection's at. That, that's why I love the heart that you bring, because I do wrestle with it. And I'm not sure how um, 
how to remedy it with some of my other thoughts. But I think that that point you make is right in, in so many ways. And one is that we encounter Jesus in his body, right? His body in the Eucharist, his body on the crucifix, the corpus, and in his body, the people. Like that's, you encounter Jesus in his body. Like Jesus became incarnate so we could encounter him in his body. And so like, it obviously makes sense that when the, the body that he's called together into an apostolate or into a parish or into a ministry or into a foreign mission, when they're together, there's greater connection and possibly greater encounter, probably greater encounter. It's just wrestling with what does that mean and how can we do that in, in the widest and deepest way, right? Because we all have a heart for that. Like we don't want to go and just like throw seeds and go, everybody said Jesus is Lord, but none of them live the life. Like no one wants to go that wide and no one wants to go so deep that it's like, okay, so exactly a half of a person I developed in the course of my life. Like, no, we know that there's an urgency to the both. And, but um, anyway, I think that's good. Let's jump to the next one just so that we can, um, cause there's, there's two more I'd like to get to before asking a final question. Um, uh, so Shia had never read the, the fullness of the gospel before um, being in the, the Capuchin monastery. He, he was talking about how he had bought into a feminized Jesus is the words that he uses. And um, just like a Jesus who was always kind of like loving and caring and passive and submissive. And that that didn't appeal to him. But then when he started reading the gospels, he's like, oh my goodness, like this is a map. Like this is a roadmap. And yes, it's a roadmap for men and women alike. It, it's, it's a roadmap for femininity and masculinity alike. It's, it's a roadmap. And he was talking about how, as he would read through the gospels, the words mm. that kept coming to him were let go. That there, there's like, he, he said there was this incompatibility with being in control and living what he was reading. You, you can't be in control and live the life that the gospel's presenting. Um, so he said that he just kept hearing let go. And he said that was the hardest thing for him to do. But that's in his, uh, I think, I think I would be saying it right to say that in his opinion, that's actually where his conversion came is when he said, okay, okay, I will. And so I wonder, like, is there anyone for whom that? that's like, not the challenge? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The control thing. Cause we do, we like controlling things. Like we like controlling the narrative. We like controlling the mic. I mean, I think we can tie a lot of this into that, right? We like controlling that this is the one way to say it, you know? Um, I think there's something neat about reading the gospel all at once. Um, the, I, I've had a few profound experiences of that as well. Once, um, just, uh, I, well, uh, the movie on St. Francis's life comes to my mind when you share that story about him, because it's Francis, there's this beautiful movie by Ignatius Press where Francis is in a prison and he's reading the gospel. He had, all, all he has is the gospel of Matthew and he's reading it. And as he goes to the Sermon on the Mount, you you see the conversion happening in, in his life, and um, and it's you know in Francis's life this this time and in prison when he when he read the gospel for the first time, he was presented with um, he discovered a way of life and and he discovered Jesus who was worth following, and and that's when he made that decision just to just give he let everything. go of everything, yeah, including exactly. his clothes. Yeah, right. Exactly, so yeah, yeah. I'm going. I'm to be actually naked. letting go of everything, <laughs> and I think he liked it no. yeah, yeah. Um, but I think maybe you like grapefruit too yeah, i don't know grapefruit but, i mean yeah. it's it's hard to find a good grapefruit <laughs> but the the important thing is that that moment where you read the gospel and you discover a jesus who's just so captivating and i think i had an experience a lot like shia's where it was like oh my like jesus gave his life in an insane way and he was aggressive and he was challenging and he was bold and he and there was something so beautiful about reading the scriptures and discovering this god who wasn't passive but a god who was so fully manly like this boldness and this non-political correctness that was so refreshing that it was like that's a God I want to worship. And I was at an old boys school and I was so tired of the passivity of what the faith was presented as that, that there was this, I wanted so bad that masculinity of Jesus to, uh, it just lit something in me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That can follow him. I think the second time was when I read the, the gospels in college, it was discovering, oh my gosh, how many, how, how many miracles happen in the life of Jesus. And I think sometimes when you go to mass week after week and you just hear one gospel at a time, you don't just like, but when you read the gospel and it's entirely like, Oh man, it's miracle after miracle after miracle. And you, you kind of like see a whole different yeah. lens of the ministry of Jesus. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think living it too is really critical. So, uh, what, you know, our lives, I think are typically oriented toward like comfort. How can I, how can I do this in the most efficient way? 
in mm-hmm. the simplest mm-hmm. way. And I know for me, uh, Dan, as you're saying that, like I'm just I'm reminded, yeah, it is. It's really important for me that I put myself in places of discomfort every once in a while, so I can so I can remember what it's like to actually pour myself out. Yeah. Um, and and if if I pour myself out emotionally on a daily basis, then I need a I need a little diversity every once in a while mm-hmm. to pour myself out physically. I mean, as you're talking about spending 16 hours doing yard work, like that that does something to you. Yep. It, it it reminds you of of what it's like to actually you know pour my pour my life out for a for a project to be accomplished. Reminds you that you have muscles that you forgot yeah, you exactly. even had, and now they're sort of there. looking right there. Yeah, one of the one of the be- one of the best lessons on that that I've ever been given in like letting go. It was actually a, a support partner of mine. So yeah. he's part of my mission support team here at Damascus, and has been for my entire like service, which is awesome. We were grabbing lunch one day, and like. He was letting me do a lot of the talking. He was asking a lot of the questions. And then I said something and it was in a season where I just had a lot to do, like similar to what we're talking about. Like so, some seasons you have a lot to do on the to-do list, but you can't forget to do the other things. And in the, in the spirit of that, he looked at me and he goes, Brad, you know, what's been blowing my mind recently is that I'm going to get to the end of my life and I'm going to die and the to-do list isn't going to be done. Like it's still, it's, it's just not going to be done. And I'm going to go before the father and I'm going to say like, I, I didn't get it all done. And it, it just like, it struck me to the heart on like, I got to let go of this preconceived notion that I got to get all of this stuff done. I'm going to steward this the best I can and not forget to steward these other things. Like I'm like my body, like my, my mind, my spirit, like we got to steward all these things and actually letting go of my need to control what people think of me by getting all this done or letting go of my obsession with my body. And all I do is work like my letting go of the different things actually allows me to live like in a whole way, which is what the gospel does. It's, it's a story of wholeness. Let's jump to the uh, last point because I think this is sweet. And then maybe one question to end. Um, so Shia, like the, the latter half of the interview is all about Padre Pio's life. And he was even talking about it, just how like the people in Italy, like some of them won't even carry a crucifix with them. They'll, they'll carry a Padre Pio prayer card. And, and he was like, he's like, I'm just blown away by this. And he was talking about learning a way of life through the lens of a saint that like the, the brilliance of Catholicism is that the saints actually become altar Christuses. So in that part of Italy, when you see Padre Pio, you see Jesus, right? When people see Francis in Assisi, like, like the people that live in Assisi, when they think Francis, they think Jesus. When the people in Loyola think Ignatius, they think Jesus. They almost become synonymous. It's what we do with Mary too, which can make people uncomfortable at times because the veneration is so great, but it's only so great because Jesus infused his image into the person. And so anyway, I I was just so captivated by that latter half of the interview and about my own walk with Padre Pio with Augustine. I mean, Augustine's um, feast day was just yesterday as we're, as we're filming this. Um, And I have just fallen in love Mm -hmm. with Augustine in in my life. And anyway, long story short, like he was talking about a, a brilliance in Catholicism is that we can see our life with the Lord through the lens of someone else and actually see Jesus in that person. And, um, oh yeah, I wonder if we can speak to that just for a second. I mean, it didn't, it didn't take long, right. In the development of the faith for that to become the reality. You, we were talking earlier about how Jesus ministered through his apostles and it was even, I mean, it was before Jesus left the earth, right. That you see him actually sending others in his place that, that their lives would be, would be the witness Right, we've got that that famous and scary verse in in Paul's letters where he's where he says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." That that we have to we have to realize that yeah, everyone is always watching. You know, my 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 mission in life is to truly be the body of Christ, not to be a convincing counterfeit. Right, that 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 I need to realize that like I I am a model. I'm a model of that which which. I I hope to attain, and that, and that by by my witness and by the witness of others that that we're actually we're painting the picture of 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 the of the church. We are we are carrying that that identity of the church. I think though the one warning I would give is that in some of these places yeah. they they make this one person a one person exception. And so the, we, we should say what God did in Padre Pio, he wants to do in me and what God did in Ignatius of Loyola, he wants to do in me that it's not, 
it's it's a testimony. It's not the Savior. So it's that it is beautiful that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, and that that this person's a living image of the body of Christ, and that's beautiful. But I have to recognize that it doesn't stop at veneration. It actually should that veneration should become transformation, where I I right. hunger to be transformed mm-hmm. to the same level that yeah. the Padre Pio is not some special. Uh, it, um, exception to the rule, mm-hmm. the the rule is we're all chosen. Yeah. And we're all called to a supernatural lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Or that he is a special, like, hear me on this, or that he is a special exception to the rule, and we're all supposed to be special yeah, yeah, exceptions there you go. to the rule. Because I, like like, I don't like when we decatholicize the the mystery of the saints. Yeah. Because they're unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're called to be, too. Yeah. That, like, I want to hold Padre Pio high because his life <laughs> Cannot be fathomed. Yeah, you err on both sides. And you err, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, if we can get in there, and like, because I don't think it's a matter of us teaching wrong about the saints. It's a matter of our perception being wrong. Like every time I think about Padre's life, I should think, like, what would it be like for me, Lord, to give my heart so radically that you do something like that? And, and like, and with the humility that you might make it look different. It might not be as public. It might be more private. Like, but but not a false humility that's like, make it private so I can be humble. It's like, no, like make me, yeah, like an exception to the rule of the world, I would say. Like the rule of the world is like, get through life, make enough money to pass to the next generation, be considered a good person, and kind of be genuinely altruistic, right? Like that's kind of the, but no, I want to like, like what if, what if a thousand years from now, People were like, hey, that thing that happened at Damascus was pretty spectacular. That would be awesome, right? So anyway, I I, I don't I, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't want us to fault because I do think we fault too much on like holding them up as a superhero that's unattainable. But they are a superhero. They're just a superhero that's telling us our narrative yeah. that we need to live out, you know? Um, great. Um, last lastly, I think uh we, we don't have a lot of time for this, but I, I do think it's a worthwhile question. So like um as it's beginning to rain. Um, why is, uh, why is it a, why do you think it's a big deal? So like this, this video in the first three days almost has a million views. Um, I don't know, maybe just like general thoughts on like, why do we think it's a big deal for the church and maybe for us as the, the laity of the church, um, when someone like Shia or some famous person or some celebrity has a conversion, maybe general thoughts on that. Maybe it's thoughts that are like, um, I don't know, more like maybe we need to be cautious here. And maybe it's thoughts that are like, actually, there's something that this is saying. I don't know. I wonder what your answers to that would be. Why do you think that's given magnitude the way it is? I mean, I think it's really cool, naturally, when someone famous converts, right? Sure. It gives, uh, it's, it's, uh, um, you don't you don't hear too much about Hollywood conversion, <laughs> and so there's something special when grace um, or when the light breaks forth in the darkness and it's celebrated. And so I think that that of course is exciting. Like, oh my gosh, God is. Um, even though it seems like this is a desert, there's an oasis that says that God is still alive and He's still moving. And I think there's something really special about that. Um, I think there's something special too about someone who is. Um, in that industry, and you've seen this a lot from um, just uh, a few different key players in that industry who are willing to uh, be a voice, um, a voice of truth, and, and and to proclaim the gospel. Because when we say, um, well, you know, like they're truly, I mean, like when you start evangelizing in that industry, uh, uh, you're just you're just done for, from what I hear. Yeah, and so. Um, so like truly someone risking it all. Um, but I also question like, um, when I, when I saw Bishop Barron's interview with him and, and kind of all the hoopla it was getting the, the first thing that popped in my mind was why wouldn't we get so excited when like the homeless person down the street comes to a relationship with Jesus? What, what is it about us that gets excited about something like that, but we don't get excited over every conversion? And, and is that indicative that we don't yet have the heart of the father, right? That, that maybe, maybe if, if, if Bishop Barron was just doing the conversion story of Joe, would, would, would it get a thousand, a million views? No. Would it get even a a thousand? I don't know. Right. And, And because we're not excited about the one lost soul 
coming to Jesus. We're, we're more excited about the one famous lost soul coming to Jesus. And so there's something weird about that that I'm not sure is holy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just human and not necessarily mm-hmm. divine. And so yeah. like I, I do want the heart of the Father for all of God's children, and I'm not sure if we have that. Yeah. 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 Your thoughts, Aaron? I think Dan, the, the last the last word you said is really important. That it's it's something human, and if it's something human, then we need to not discount it necessarily. Yeah. Sure. So like, there there are there are certain men and women who have been given sort of a, a mantle of leadership. Yep. In our world, and uh, I, th- I think in in a particular way, we should be praying for their conversion because they have an assignment on their life to influence. And uh, so I think that I think that is it is a big deal, and it's in my mind it's okay to to see this in a in a different light, which doesn't give us a reason to not celebrate Joe. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another piece that I, I on on the flip side of that that I that I saw in the interview, which was really fun, is uh, fun. Uh, a lot of times I think when I when I imagine um, a famous influencer, right, I I, I kind of attribute a lot of um, success and confidence and poise and control to that person. And in in Shai's interview, like he was indicating that at the time of this conversion, he was like he was he was on the way out. He was as uh, as depressed and struggling as any human being can be. Not a witness. Not an not an influence. Um, and uh, I I think it just it it reminds me that you know. I need to I need to be praying for people who who I feel like are are in control or who I feel like have got their lives together because they're humans like yeah. they're, they're a human being and they're struggling with the same stuff that we're struggling with. They are, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have much to add because it's been a similar wrestle for me because I can see the the two. Uh, yeah, I guess ends of it the the more um, human and the more divine end. Maybe we could call it that. But I think um, one thing I would add is that I think that we do in the church in certain seasons celebrate wins that we equate to impact that like in this season of the church, there's not a lot of wins quote unquote that we see that we're like, that's going to make a huge impact. Now, again, I'm not saying that I guess I am kind of saying that I, um, all souls are equal. All impact is not. And that's okay. Like to your point, Aaron, there's actually people, the Lord, like, like the blessed mother, like the Lord, just for whatever reasons, like the amazing grace is going to come to you. And, and there are people in the world, it's like amazing mm. grace has come to you. And I actually need to be humble as Brad to say that that's actually, you're, you've been, that's a grace for you that, that again, I, I have access to grace, but that's a unique call. And I bless that because we need you. And um, when I saw it, I think that's what I thought was like, that's a win that could impact because there's going to be people that would never listen to Brad who have known Shia in a different lens that will listen to him. And I, we see that in the church too. Um, Constantine, um, St. Henry, St. George, like these people that had Augustine. I mean, he was the, he was the, the speech writer for the king. Like in the course of our history, there, there are these seasons where it's like, oh, the church is not teetering, but you maybe teetering. The church has um, some, I don't know, some work st- to do. stormy seas. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the Lord provides something like that. So I don't know if this will be that, but I, I think yeah. it encourages me the same way. But again, the points that both of you made, I think, yeah. are well taken. But I do think um, I do think this gives a lot to chew on. So um, yeah. why don't we, Aaron, if you want to just close us in a quick prayer, and then uh, I think that'll be good for the Shia LaBeouf. Well, I was, I, was, uh, I was moved in the course of our time, just even in these last few minutes, that we need to pray for this guy. Yeah. And, and, for, yeah. and for others who have been willing to take a stand of faith. I mean, we've got a number of members of our of our uh, um, national advisory board, who are you know in a similar in a similar frame of influence, who you know we need to we need to we need to pray for um, for strength and for stability, and then and then that the impact of this show and the impact of of that interview would continue to touch the lives of of people in our communities. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we're grateful for every time that you go, uh, you leave the ninety nine and go after the one, um, and we celebrate today the good work that you're doing in our brother, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, never having met Jesus, we celebrate the victories that you have in his life and the victories that you have in in our lives and the lives of those that we've 
been called to evangelize, to love, to invite into community. I pray that, Lord Jesus, that through today's show, that um, those individuals who are listening today, who are who are watching today, uh, who have had difficulty with evangelization, Jesus might be strengthened in their own walk, and might be given that extra spark and push to actually make an investment in somebody's life that'll transform their experience forever. We pray for strength for every uh, every missionary. That's every one of us that we be uh, that we be reconvicted by the by the gift of invitation to be close to you, Lord, and that we live that out loud. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In the name of the Father, oh, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Man, this episode blessed me. And um, and friends, we, we hope it blessed you too. Yeah. Uh, if you've found this episode edifying, please share it with a friend that you think would be blessed by the words that were spoken today. Like, subscribe, do all the things that you normally do with a podcast. You can find us on YouTube. We have a video podcast over there if you'd like to see some of the hand gestures that we make and, <laughs> and Dan laughing so hard <laughs> that he spit up his coffee today. Um, but again, we're really blessed by you. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll look forward to joining you next time here on Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. God bless.